Welcome to the Bible Teaching Ministry of Spring Hill Church. The church gathers each Lord's Day at 10.30. We gather at 27551 Highway 47, just south of Gaston in North Yamhill County. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, with me to the book of Acts. Um, we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to spend our time in verses 1 through 13. And so by way of reminder, we are looking at the second volume of the gospel according to Luke. That is that the continued work of salvation in Jesus Christ continues after his death, his burial and resurrection, and after his ascension into heaven. And so uh, first this morning we will pray, then we'll read the passage under consideration, and then we will dissect the passage and we'll make observations and applications as we go. So let us pray together. Father in heaven, we do praise you this morning for your word. We pray for that which comes from the scriptures to us that we might know you. We ask, Lord, this morning for your grace to illuminate the passage to our minds that we might understand. We need grace to ignite our hearts to love as you have loved. We need grace, Father, to initiate a willingness to obey the scriptures that are presented to us this morning. We pray for all who gather on this Lord's day, and specifically we pray for the brothers and sisters that will gather this morning at Wapato Valley. We ask for you to move the hearts and minds of all who gather to know what is the height, the depth of your great love for those of us who would believe in Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the atonement for our sin and the Lord of our lives. Amen. Amen. So this will be your moment to stand again so that you can stay awake as we, uh, as you are able to stand, uh, we will read God's word in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. This is God's word. You may be seated. Behold, today the new has come. Today could be the day of Pentecost for someone who is gathered here this morning. This could be a day when the presence of God is felt and known in a new and saving way. 
A day when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. A day when the Holy Spirit makes you new from the inside out. Today may be a day of renewal for some of us. A day when the Holy Spirit fills us fresh to use us again for the service of God. A day perhaps when the Spirit would give us a fresh filling of Himself that we might be given boldness to speak the word of truth to a Christ-rejecting sinful neighbor that we know. For others, it may be that today the Spirit fills you to the full where you become a mighty force for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. This morning, I want you to know that behold, the new has Come, let us look closely at verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire, entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. See, the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament was a feast of the harvest. They were to count 50 days from the time that the sickle was first put uh, to the standing grain. It was a time to rejoice in the Lord. All were to be included in this festival. Sons and daughters, servants, both male and female, the Levites that were living in their towns, any travelers, any widows, the father, fatherless and the orphans. No one was to be excluded from the celebration of the Pentecost. They were told to remember that they too were once slaves in Egypt when their labor that they were forced to do was to the benefit of others. And now that their labor, they are blessed of the Lord and they are to remember that God is true to the promise of all of his covenants. Historic Judaism associated Pentecost first with a renewal of the Noahic covenant. Covenant. You might recall from Genesis chapter 9 that after Yahweh had purposed in himself to never destroy the earth again by flood, he declared a new way for his people to live. As the, as the day of Pentecost comes here in this passage, as the day of Pentecost came and, and as they would celebrate the Noahic covenant, they would remember that God had saved them. But they didn't save them to just live life as they had. He saved them to a new and living way. Let us uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9. I just want to read it for uh, the sake of understanding that there's this new way that God calls his people to live as we remember that his promises have come true. Genesis 9, I want to read the first nine uh, verses here. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. In your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that's, that is its blood. And for your life blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require, and from man, from his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds blood, who sheds the blood of a man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God has made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. 
Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So they would celebrate here uh, in Pentecost, in, in, in second century uh, Judaism, they would celebrate and remember the Noahic covenant first, that God had promised to never again destroy the earth with a flood. And he would say to them, now the covenant is renewed in you. And he would remind them of the initial covenant, wouldn't he? He goes back and says, be fruitful and multiply. He reminds them that you were created in God's image. Now bear this image. He would remind them that to take a life is to destroy the image of God. So live in this new way now that you've been graciously saved from the floodwaters and that will never return again. This is my promise you can trust in. Well, later in Israel's history, uh, Pentecost came to be associated with the Mosaic Covenant. And by the second century, uh, Pentecost had become associated with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Pentecost has been associated in Judaism with this idea that there is a new work of God and that there's a new way forward for God's people. Behold, a new day has dawned, just as Jesus promised. Remember, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of this new day when you will receive power to be my witnesses. And now a new day has dawned, just as Jesus had promised when he ascended into heaven. Having waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, when the day of Pentecost arrived, I want us to notice this, they were all together in one place. When the new move of God had come, the people were together in one place. I would ask us to think about this a little bit this morning. Do you desire a move of the Spirit of God in your life? Do you want to sense the presence of God in a tangible way? Do you want to sense God in a way that is indisputable? Do you desire to see Spring Hill Church revived and renewed and to be moved by the Spirit of God to take new ground in Yam Hill and Washington counties? I would say this, then let us not forsake the gathering of the saints that is the habit of some. Modern day Pentecostalism sometimes uh, places so much emphasis on the individual person's experience with the Holy Spirit that how one feels is personal and how the Lord is moving and that that is not to be disputed. Who can argue with that? The normative way that the scriptures show God moving in a new and dynamic way is when God moves all of his people and he moves them all at the same time in the same direction. He takes his people and he moves them in one direction together and it's a move of God that is affirmed in all of us. See, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you and you and you and you. That same spirit moves each of us together in unity in the same direction. And Jesus came early preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he's calling individuals, of course, to repentance and faith. But what happens immediately is Jesus calls the individual to repentance and faith. You are now in the circle of the kingdom people. When an individual gets saved, you're in the kingdom people. You are now unified to a people, and then God moves that kingdom people together. You see, 
We are called into the collective movement of God's kingdom by the Spirit. A person is made new by the Spirit and called to be a new person, but he's called, he or she is called to be in a new movement of God, in a new community. The promise of Father, of the Father came when they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. What's happening here? Suddenly, the presence of God could be heard. This is the sound of the Spirit, and it filled the room. It could be heard. It could be felt. The Greek word pneuma is used here to describe wind. It's also used to describe spirit. And I would say here, as these are gathered together, behold, the new has come. The Holy Spirit has filled the house like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The breath of God. It is the breath of God that could be heard and felt. The presence of God had come. The wind, the breath of God, is a sign of God's presence as a spirit. 2 Samuel twenty two sixteen says, Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Job 37, 10 says, By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. Ezekiel 13, 13 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there will be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. You see, this idea of wind, pneuma, breath of God is present. And the, the, uh, Luke here uses the idea, think of what he says, and there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Like. He's, he's equating it like a wind, but it is indeed the breath of God. It is the Spirit of God. The presence of God had come and filled this place where they were gathered. And then notice that there's, that, that is symbol number one. Then there's symbol number two. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on them. Not only has the Spirit come with penetrating, enveloping sound, the power of the presence of God could be seen. Divided tongues as of fire. See, fire is the symbol of the power and the force of God's judgment, and of also the power to cleanse the most vile sinner. When fire had come, th this is good news. It's also terrifying news, right? When the fire of God, the judgment of God comes, it's terrifying news. But at the same time, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, fire is a symbol of the power of God to cleanse even the most vile sinner. The people of Israel at Mount Sinai, when Yahweh was present, sanctified themselves with cleaning their clothes and with abstaining from the knowledge of women then Yahweh's presence was made known with a cleansing fire so that the people would heed the commandment of God given through Moses. 
In Exodus 19:18, it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. In the first account of Luke's gospel, when John the Baptist had come proclaiming the way of the Lord, and he had come calling sinners to a baptism for the remission of sin, he speaks of a greater baptism that is to come, where not only would sin be remitted, but the sinner would also be indeed cleansed. In Luke 3.16, John answered them and all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire. Think about that. The cleansing fire of God. I want anybody here who is not in a relationship with Jesus to know that the fire of God can come and will come suddenly. It will come suddenly and come upon you and judge you. But I also want you to know this, that as you sit here, that fire is good news, brothers and sisters. It is good news for you because the fire of God will cleanse you if you will repent and believe. The fire of God can cleanse you. The presence of the Holy Spirit here has come. Behold, the new has come. The Spirit came with a blast of sound and it could be felt like a gale force storm blowing in the place. The Spirit's power could be seen. The cleansing fire of God's judgment and redemption is made known in a new and powerful display. Let us look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit. The new had come. The Spirit united the apostles in ministry. I remember some years ago at Carleton Community Church, we faced an issue where one of our elders was going off and, and going in their own agenda. And individually, a couple of us went, we go to the rest of the elders to present our case and saying that we must address this issue. And it was said, I, I agree that this is a problem, but the Spirit hasn't called me to any action. That statement assumes that the Holy Spirit only acts individually. That statement assumes that, because who can argue? The Spirit hasn't moved in me. Who can argue with that if it's individual? And yes, the Spirit does move individually in us to save us and to, to convict us. But in a move of God, we work together in unity and that same self-Spirit unites us and moves us forward together. So who can argue with a statement like that? Because one cannot disprove or prove whether there is a move of, a spirit, uh, of the Spirit in the person individually, nor can one prove the inaction of a Spirit in a person's life. When God the Spirit filled the disciples, though, He filled them all with the same power at the same time and for the same purpose. You might recall, looking back at chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to go ahead and read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
The Spirit had come. The Spirit moves in collective. You might understand as you read this passage, the you here is plural. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You collectively will receive power. And the witnesses here is plural. You will be my witnesses. In unity, the Spirit will come and move you in the same direction and on the same mission. He filled them all with the same power at the same time and for the same purpose. And the unified power of the Holy Spirit upon all the apostles was that individually and collectively they would be witnesses to Jesus Christ. Behold, the new has come. With a new power from the God of heaven, the gospel of Jesus Christ would be made evident through the gift of the Holy Spirit imparted to the apostles, who afterwards, after they had received it themselves, would impart that gift upon you and I and everyone who followed after them. The day of Pentecost has come, in some sense, to all of you. Already the day of Pentecost has come to you who have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transferred into the kingdom of His Son. The day of Pentecost came to you, the day when the Spirit came and made you new individually, when the Spirit came and converted you and He transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. The day of Pentecost has come upon you. And I pray this morning that this is a new day for someone here, that the day of Pentecost is now, that the day of Pentecost would come and make you new by the power of the Spirit, and that you would be moved to a new community, living in it with a new mission. And that is to be a witness to Jesus Christ. What does a witness of Jesus Christ do? Simple. Tell the truth about Jesus. When you go to court, And you are to be a faithful witness in a courtroom. What is it that they want you to do? To tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. When Jesus here says that you will receive power to be my witnesses, you will have the power to tell the truth about me. That is the aim of the one who has been made new. That is the mission of the one whom the day of Pentecost has come upon them. You see, it is a day when the Spirit, like a blazing fire, comes and judges the sinful intent of your heart. And then it cleanses you. And it makes you fit for repentance and faith, making you fit for the kingdom of His Son. And filling you up with the Holy Spirit. Luke uses the term here, filled with the Holy Spirit, to describe what is happening to the apostles. See, the apostles had been filled at conversion, hadn't they? They had been filled at conversion, but they were being filled for the occasion and purpose of ongoing witness to Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. You see, there is a filling when he uses the word that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It is an idea that they are being filled again afresh. There's a filling that happens when we are saved. There's a filling that happens when we are set apart for the service of God. John the Baptist, set apart for the service of God and the forerunner of Jesus Christ, is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. In Luke 1.15, he says, For he will be great before the Lord, describing John the Baptist, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. 
John was filled with the Holy Spirit to be set apart for the service of God. Saul, who after conversion was named Paul and was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was set apart, wasn't he, for God's service. In Acts chapter 9, verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You may be filled to be set apart for God's service. Luke writes in our text in verse 4 that the, this filling of the Spirit and the occasion and the purpose for this filling of the Spirit was, was also a, a moment to enable them to speak. It says that they were speaking in these tongues of languages that could be understood by what? By the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled in order to speak. Elsewhere, you see in the book of Acts, we see the filling of the Spirit upon the apostles that was meant to inspire utterances. There's a filling that is set apart for service, right? To set you apart for the service of God. And there is a filling that describes that uh, it is to inspire bold utterances. Acts chapter 4 verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In the continuing process of being filled, and being available for the filling of the Spirit. Paul writes to the Ephesians to abstain uh, yourselves from filling yourself with the spirit of drunkenness. Be one who is filled. Be one who is filled and continually available to be filled. Listen to what Ephesians 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that means is be being filled. Be continually being filled by the Spirit. Don't fill yourself with the Spirit of the world. Be being filled with the Spirit. Now, we can't make ourselves be filled with the Spirit, can we? But what we can do is be available. We can make ourselves available for the Spirit to fill us. We can. Could you imagine this great gift that God says that he would never deny his people the gift if they prayed and said, God, give me the Holy Spirit. He's not one who would hold great, withhold great gifts from his people. He will give us that. That is a, a request that God will honor. The filling of the Spirit can also be used the, the, to describe the state of already being full. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3 he says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men full of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And then verse five, it says, and what they said had pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Prochorius and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Stephen, facing stoning and death, was filled to the full, wasn't he? 
But he, Acts 7.55 says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When God added to the church at Antioch, he filled Barnabas to the full. Acts 11.24 says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And when Jesus was moved by God to be tempted of the devil 40 days, guess what? Jesus himself was filled to the full for the task. Luke 4.1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I said all of this to say this. I know I belabored that point a lot. But I said all of this to say this, that the apostles or any disciple of Jesus Christ filled with the Spirit at conversion can receive a special Filling, a fresh filling for a specific task, for the continuous filling, or as the occasion indicates, to inspire utterances in the proclamation of Jesus Christ, his death for sin and his resurrection to life, that hearers may receive and believe. I know this morning, as I was as I was praying and walking, and I, I, I was praying through this passage once again, and I was like, you know, it feels weird to ask this, but it's, it's, it's not a thing to ask. It's not a, a thing that I should be ashamed to ask. And I asked, Father, if it's your will, fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit that I may speak forth your word with power and that those who hear would be filled with the spirit of power, that they would receive those words. And on this occasion, Lord, this is what I was praying, on this occasion, fill me for your purpose that you might give me utterance. That when I end and I go home and I think about the things I said and somebody reminds me of what I may have said, I don't know that I said that because the Spirit, I want the Spirit to speak. Well, not to belabor the point of feeling too much, but one more point. You may recall being baptized by the Holy Spirit referred to in many texts. And this is the same idea as filling or being filled. This filling of the Spirit is synonymous with the idea that the Spirit is being poured out, which we will see in Peter's explanation of this occasion later. As we go in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that Peter explains that this filling of the Spirit is a pouring out of God's Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, the presence of God's Holy Spirit is being heard and seen. It has filled the apostles and inspired words to speak in multiple languages. Let us move ahead to verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Behold, 
My friends, the day has come. The new day has come here. The day of Pentecost had come. The Spirit-empowered witness to the mighty works of God. So it says the mighty works of God. What did they hear in their own language, in their own tongue? What did the Spirit speak? It was not gibberish. It was not gibberish. The Spirit spoke the mighty works of God. And it was intelligible. It was understandable to each person in each person's language. It was understandable. It could be heard and understood. The Spirit-empowered witness to the mighty works of God. These are the mighty works that have been wrought in Jesus Christ. And in one sense, it was poured out at once to every tribe and every nation as we see the list of these people here. The Spirit-empowered witness of the Holy Spirit amazed and perplexed the hearers. The Spirit would bring together a people divided by language because of their rebellion against God. See, this is a response. This is, this is the answer to the age-old problem that began since the time of Babel. In, in Genesis 11, 6-8, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. See, here they were, a confused people, a people who couldn't communicate in unity. And the Spirit came and spoke, and spoke in a language that would unite them, that they could hear the mighty works of God. Behold, the new has come. With the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the curse of Babel here is beginning to unravel. People from all over the known world were present. People who were to the east of the Roman Empire, Persia, what we would call modern-day Iran, they were included. Then people west, Iraq and Judea, the various countries in Asia Minor, including modern-day Turkey, African nations, Arabians, Jews, and Gentiles, but the crowd is astonished that they hear the words in their own language coming from the mouth of Galileans. Now, certainly not all of the apostles were from Galilee, were they? They were not all Galileans. But really what this text is talking about is that Galileans was like a derogatory term for a Christian, right? These are those knuckleheads who followed the Galileans. They are speaking the mighty works of God. And how can they, these unlearned fishermen, be able to speak to us in a language that we can understand? And they are speaking these mighty works of God. Their astonishment is not that all these apostles from Galilee, but that they came from unlearned men who were much maligned, and they were the much maligned sect of those who followed the teachings of the Galilean. It's derogatory to describe these Christ followers. Through the mouth of the despised, the known world heard the mighty works of God in their own language. Behold, the new has come. The Spirit-empowered witness was being poured out through the apostles to the known world at the time. And in a sense, all at once, the gospel was being preached to every creature. Did you know that there is a, I don't know what you'd call well, I'm going to call it this. It, there is a, in your neighborhoods, maybe, some of you who don't live as rurally, who live in a neighborhood, 
might notice those signs that, that, that carry what they call the secular creed, you know, black lives matter and uh, love is love and whatever the, the list goes on. And that really is a creed. It's a statement. It's a statement of faith. We believe this. And I would say that I would want to point them to this text of Scripture right here and say, you know what? I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree with you that black lives matter. They matter a lot to Jesus. They matter so much to him that he laid down his life for everyone. Look at the people and where they came from. He laid his life down for Arabians, Romans, Jews, proselytes. He laid his life down for every person of every color of skin. He's not a regarder of persons in that way. I would agree with you that they, those lives matter much. They matter much to Jesus. And they matter much to me because you matter to Jesus. You matter to me. Because they were created in the image of God. Every life matters to Jesus. I would point them to this text that, that, that says that when the Spirit came and the Spirit moved and the Spirit was making a new people, there's a new people from everywhere. From the known world at the time, God was making people new. One thing I want you to know is that all, all, all the in a sense that all at once the gospel is being preached to the known world, to every creature. Another thing I'd like you to note in this passage is that when the Spirit speaks, He speaks to be understood. He speaks to be understood. Tongues here is described as a known creaturely language, isn't it? The languages are not disordered and confusing, but they are purposed to tell the truth, to witness to the soul of the hearer the mighty works of God. What is the mighty work of God? The mighty work of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The utterance of the Spirit inspired is the mighty work of God in Christ Jesus in a new and powerful way, in a way understandable, in a way that the Spirit of God testified to every soul that has been separated from God by sin, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into the world to take away their sin, that evil men just like them, they killed the Lord Jesus Christ, and that God worked mightily to it atone for those sins through Jesus' death, and the grave could not hold him. Behold, the new has come. The Spirit of God has been poured out, empowering the apostles to speak the mighty works of God that were wrought in Jesus Christ. What is the mighty work of God, friends? That's We have the mighty works of God in our mouths. You have it in your mouth. You have it in your heart. You know it. You know the mighty work of God. It's quite simple. God is holy. And he is the right creator of all things. And he is the judge of all people. And we have, we, including me, have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God in Christ Jesus atoned for sin. And this atonement meant for a new life because God, after three days, raised him from the dead. And he is alive. And he has ascended to heaven. And he is ruling and reigning on the throne right now, and you can live a brand new life in Christ. This is the mighty work of God that was wrought in Jesus Christ. This is what the Spirit testifies to. I can preach this to this room or any other room all day long, but unless the Spirit does the work, they're words. They're words. 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, a person is made new, is cut to the heart, and believes the mighty works of God. How can you test whether an utterance is of the Spirit? I would say this. Is it plain to the hearer? Is it confusing? Does the utterance align with the mighty work of God in the gospel? Does the Spirit testify to anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified? The day of Pentecost may be here today for some of you. In your hearing, the Spirit-inspired word has come to you. The Spirit has given me utterance to speak to you plainly that God is holy, that God is perfect, separate from mankind in His purity. He is the creator of all, and He is the right judge of all. And you are separated from God due to sin. You have fallen short of God's perfect exacting standard. I testify to you in the power of the Holy Spirit this morning that God sent Jesus Christ fully human and yet without sin, He sent Him into the world and in perfect obedience to the Father, He died for sinners at the hands of sinful men. He was buried in a tomb and three days later, God raised Him from the dead. He ascended into heaven and He sent His Holy Spirit this morning to convict you of sin and to convince you that righteousness can be had by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the mighty work of God. Will you be made new today by the Spirit? Has God prompted you to repent and believe? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Call upon the only name by which you may be saved. Call out to Jesus. Call out to Jesus, the mighty work of God. Well, as they call, as they proclaim the mighty work of Jesus by the power of the Spirit in a language they could understand, verse 12, and they were all amazed and perplexed and said to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Next week, we will hear the beginning of Peter's sermonic explanation of what they heard, what they felt, and what they saw. Thank you for joining us today. You can join the gathering of Spring Hill Church at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We gather at 27551 Highway 47, just south of Gaston in North Yamhill County. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly.